So, this is where we are this morning together. So, question for you. What is the fast? Well, can we all agree that the fastest way to any one place is a straight line? Amen? Can we all agree on that at least? Say a lot of heads shaking, hear some amens? Okay. So, I think that God wants um, the, the road, right? The, the, the name of the sermon today is a road less traveled. I think that he wants that road to be a straight line to him. But so many times, so many of us have chosen a very curvy, windy road. All right? And then by our own selection, we have taken potholes and we have placed them on that road. Life didn't necessarily place all the potholes. Sometimes we take the potholes and we put them there ourselves by our own choices. All right? Potholes that mess up our front end alignment, blow out our tires, um, if you will. Um, we also go and we put a lot of obstacles in the way on this windy road of following Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that you learned a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm, not, very, I'm not very handy. Okay? My wife is the first one to tell you I'm not very handy. I'll break anything I touch. That's why we try to get somebody else to do it. I can probably figure it out, but I'm going to break it first, and then I have to fix it, okay? or at least that's going to happen a couple of times. I'm also not very good with directions. Okay? Those are two things I'm just not very good with. I need a GPS. I need to listen to my wife. Okay, now, sometimes I'm really good at that, and other times I'm not very good at it at all. And I'm like, I got this. And she just shakes her head, and she's trying to hold her tongue the whole time. She's thinking, he does not have this guy. There's no way he has this. And the, the sad thing is I've been to that place four or five times, and I'm still getting it wrong. And uh, she tries to, to help me, nudge me in the right direction. And I think God tries to do same, the same thing as we're on this windy road. He tries to nudge us and push us in the right direction. Sometimes he does it through love. And sometimes he keeps us. He literally snatches us from falling towards the pits of hell. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Jude. So if you turn into your Bibles this morning with me, we're going to go to the book of Jude. I know it says in your bulletin, I think the 24th verse is what's called out. We're actually going to read from uh, verse 17 through verse 25 in the book of Jude this morning. Now, who wrote the book of Jude? Pretty easy. Jude wrote it. We see it was called out as Judas. Probably not a very popular name at that time to go around saying you were Judas and you're trying to talk about Jesus Christ. Okay? So we see he changed his name. He's Jude. Now, who was he, though? It's Jesus' half-brother, brother to James, son to Mary and Joseph. Now, was Jude always a Christ follower? No, much like James, after Jesus' death and resurrection... Jude said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm going to go out and share. In this one chapter letter, this epistle, we see that Jude shares very strong words because of folks within the church who are not acting like God. Now this morning we're actually going to look at two letters, okay? We're going to look at this epistle written by Jude, and then I'm going to share a different letter with you. I'm going to share a letter that a pastor wrote to their church. Excuse me, a pastor wrote to the church, the church at large. And we're going to sort of contrast the two. Out of uh, respect to the reading of God's Word, will you stand with me this morning? Jude, verses 17 through 25. Let's all read this together. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. 
But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the reading of your holy word in your house this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we can walk out different than how we came in, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we take a look at um, Jude's words, right, in Jude 17 uh, through 19. You know, Jude, he's, he's calling us to remember, all right? He's calling us to remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, what they foretold to us, that none of this should be a surprise, that we should actually expect that men and women are going to be sinful, that they are going to be evil, Okay, that they are going to have their own agenda. At the beginning, I stated that as I prepared for this, I had my own agenda. Okay, I knew exactly what I was going to preach on. I heard something amazing at YEC. I wanted to share these verses. I wanted to share sort of the themes of some of the stuff that I heard. And then God was like, not so fast. Okay, and even then, I was sort of pushing back. That doesn't sound very evil. Okay, but it's very easy for us to many times have our own agenda. Um, and not even realize it, that we're trying to get people to be our disciples. And that is what Jude is warning against here. If we look at this, what is he saying? Like, what is the big uh, point? He's saying that within the church, okay, not just our church, but within the church at large, that there are people with their own agenda who are really bringing in their own disciples. You may not realize it because you feel like, hey, what I'm doing is for God, But many times what you're really doing is saying, hey, this thing is really important to me. It's the most important thing. And if we could just do this, I feel, you notice that's the problem. I feel like it would have the greatest impact. So if you just follow me, we'll all do this for God. Well, whose disciples did you just become? Did you just become God's disciples or did you just become my disciples? Because a disciple is just someone who will follow someone. And see, that can be really dangerous. What is Jude telling us, though? Jude is telling us that in the church, that the appearance may seem like a good idea, right? There's a lot of stuff I could probably throw at you today that you think sounds like a good idea. Okay? Sounds like a good idea on its face, but how would we get there? How would we do it? We do it following God's will? We do it showing God's love? Or does it become very easy to be on this slippery slope and to move towards man's desires with anger, lust, frustration? Not things that show the fruit of the Spirit. We see over and over again the appearance of men and women who Divide churches, divide factions, divide people. And why? It's not because they're evil. Not always. It's not because they're purposely having an agenda to do this. It's 
Because as soon as we take our gaze off of God and we put it on our own desires and we say, well, this is what I want. Why can't we just do that? Because I want it. We go and we split from God. We separate ourselves from God. And again, this should come as no surprise to us. Because over and over again, God's word tells us this is absolutely going to happen. Why are we so easily fooled then? Why so many times do we fall in these traps? Because, see, the reality is, if we're all really going to be honest with each other this morning, if I'm in a church for 20 or 30 years, I'm going to have some agendas at some point. I'm going to have some ideas. I'm going to have some things I'm going to lead. I'm going to have some things I'm going to be a part of. But do they honor God or not? Do they follow God's word or not? Are they pulling people away from God or not? And it can be very easy to think I am following God, but realize that's not what I'm doing at all. See, our natural instincts come into play. And many times we wake up one day and we, it's hard, this is a hard thing to do. You wake up one day and you realize the very things I've been doing, I'm saying I'm doing them for God, but really it's more about me. It's more about what I want. It's more about what I think I need. It's more about my judgment, what I think is important to the church, to the people, to anyone who can listen to my voice. Verses 20 and 23 answer these questions, though. They tell us what to do. It's very clear. See, Jude, he only needed to do this in one chapter because he was being very specific. This is a very short letter. He's not messing around. He is getting right to the heart of the issue. He does that from verse 1 all the way to verse 25. And in verse 20 and 23, if you look back at that, He says in verse 20, build ourselves up in the most holy faith. I'm going to repeat that one more time for you. Build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We ought to be about the pursuit of godliness. The pursuit of godliness. Only when we do that, only when we do that can we be strong enough to stand up. To realize that there is not truth all around us. And to be able to speak truth in love to others. Others where it may be hard to hear. Others where, you know what, they'd rather put a deaf ear to you. Those who may shake their head, yes, but you know in their heart they're not listening and they may not change. But how do we do that? How do we actually prepare ourselves? Faith-building exercises? Like what? No secret here. Any of you could tell me. Fasting, prayer, Bible studies, Bible reading sharing the word, evangelizing. The more we do that, the more we prepare ourselves, the more we step outside of our comfort zone, the more God is going to give us. Verse 21. Keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. What does this mean? What does this mean, church? How is it that we are to keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for the consummation of our faith? Again, there's no trick here. I'm not trying to trip you up this morning. You already know the answer. It's by being obedient. It's by obeying His commands. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. I'll just ask you, how many times in your own life 
when you stopped fighting and you started surrendering, did you see such a difference in your character and who you are and where you were going and how you were getting there? Did you notice when you stopped surrendering that you saw Jesus and you saw God in a brand new way? And it didn't become burdensome anymore, did it? You had peace and joy and love all throughout your life, didn't you? When you stopped fighting and you started giving in. Do you love the Lord? Do you appreciate the grace you have experienced in Jesus Christ? Are you anticipating a day where you will come face to face with Jesus Christ? And we say, like, we say these words in church, we say them, but I want you to literally think about this for a second. A day where you're actually going to stand there and looking in the mirror is not yourself. Looking back at you is Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to that day? We have to keep ourselves obedient with God in all things big and all things small. And sometimes when we get busy putting things together, putting together church programs and agendas and plans for the year and all the things that we know we need to do, it can get really easy to say, wait a minute, whose agenda am I following right now? Is it God's agenda or is it my own agenda? See, if we look back at what Jude was trying to get across here, there obviously were great problems in the church. He wouldn't have written this letter if it wasn't. There must have been destructive uh, teachings that were going on. There certainly was a, a negative effect upon the general spiritual maturity that was going on in the church. But what's his call? What's Jude's call? Be your brother's keeper. Deal with the sin and the sinner in your midst. And this can be hard. And this can be hard. It's not something you, I mean, you probably shouldn't just go out today if you're like, hey, you know what, I've done no spiritual exercises. You're probably not the one to go um, deal with the, the sin in the center just yet. You might want to do some spiritual exercises first because that person on the other end needs to see God's love. And sometimes that love literally means snatching them from the gates of hell. And these aren't my words, these are God's words, okay? This is what Jude shares with us as we look. In 20 through 25. Now think about those words for a second. There's two ways this is going to go. Either you're going to be really loving to someone, you're just going to share truth, and because they probably haven't been loved on before, they're going to listen to that truth. They're going to make a decision, because now they have to make a decision. Alright, that's sort of the easy path. The hard path is that person who says, you know what, I'm going to take more than that. I'm harder to deal with than that. And that's what we're seeing Jude talk about here. What are you going to do in those situations? You're still going to have to help that brother or sister. You're still going to have to be their keeper. You can't say, well, hey, you know what? I'll take all the easy ones. You take all the hard ones. That's not going to work. After you have made sure that you are doing your faith-building exercise, that you are spending time with God, that you feel like you are central in His truth, there are brothers and sisters who are deep in sin, who need your love, who need you to go and give them a swift kick in the pants. Alright? That's the truth this morning. There are people in your life right now that you know, as well as I do, they have chose that windy road, but you know what? Their windy road doesn't lead to Jesus Christ. Their windy road is taking them directly to hell. And if we do not snatch them 
Again, the way Jude says right here, if we do not literally reach out with our hands and not keep our hands in here, but be bold enough to reach out and grab them and snatch them from the gates of hell, that's exactly where they're going. And you don't need to listen to me this morning. Listen to God's Word. Galatians 6, 1, James 5, 19 through 20, both tell us how to deal with falling brothers and sisters. Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. In James 5, 19-20, it says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We can't be fearful of going out and snatching somebody who may be heading in this direction. Now, I want to pause here for a second because I have a different letter that I want to read to you this morning. Right now, we're about at verse 24 in the book of Jude. We see what Jude tells us about the church and how we need to care for it and how we need to care for each other and how sometimes it's not always going to be easy. I also want to read a letter to you. I'm going to read this directly to you from a pastor who wrote this to the church at large. This is his view about why people are leaving the church in droves all around the country. He says, want to know why people are leaving the church? I see the panic in your face, church. I know the eternal terror as you see the statistics and hear the stories and scan the exit polls. I see you desperately scrambling scrambling to do damage control for the fence setters and manufacture passion from the shrinking faithful, and I want to help you. You may think you know why people are leaving you, but I'm not sure you do. You think it's because the culture is so lost, so perverse, so beyond help that they're all walking away. You believe that they turned a deaf ear to the voice of God, chasing money and sex and material things. You think that the gays and the Muslims and the atheists and the pop stars have so screwed up the morality of the world that everyone is abandoning faith in droves. But those aren't the reasons people are leaving you. They aren't the problem, church. This is going to be hard for you to hear. You are the problem. Let me elaborate in five ways. How much time do you spend on your Sunday productions? How much energy, effort, and money do you put into the stage, the lights, the bands, the video screens, and everything? Number two, do you still speak a foreign tongue? What I mean by this is that do people understand what you are telling them? Because God's message is simple. It's pure. It's about love. It's about grace. And is that the message that you're sharing? Your vision can't see past your building. The coffee bar, the cushy couches, the high-tech lights, the funky children's wing, and the uber-cool teen center are all top-notch and costly. In fact, most of your time, money, and energy seems to be about luring people to where you are instead of reaching people where they are. Rather than simply stepping out into the neighborhoods around you and partner with the amazing things already happening and the beautiful stuff God is already doing, you seem to be content to franchise out your particular brand of Jesus stuff and wait for the sinful world to beat down your door. Number four, you choose lively battles. We know you like to fight, church. That's obvious. When you want to, you can go to war with the best of them. The problem is your battles are too small. Fast food protests, hobby store outrage, duck calling, reality TV show campaigns, 
may manufacture some urgency and Twitter activity on the inside for the already convinced. Every day we see a world suffocated by poverty and racism and violence and bigotry and hunger. In the face of that stuff, you get awfully, frighteningly quiet. We wish you were as courageous in those fights because then we liked coming alongside you. And we like going to war with you. Number five, your love doesn't always look like love. Love seems to be a pretty big deal to you, but we're not getting that when the rubber meets the road. In fact, more and more, your brand of love seems incredibly selective and decidedly narrow, filtering out all the spiritual riffraff, which sadly includes far too many of us. It feels like a big bait and switch, a sucker deal, an advertising, come as you are party, but letting us know once we're in the door that we can't really come as we are. We see a Jesus in the Bible who hung out with lowlifes and prostitutes and outcasts and loved them right there. But that doesn't seem to be your cup of tea. Church, can you love us if we don't check all the doctrinal boxes? Don't have our theology figured out just yet? Can you teach us? Can you help us understand? It doesn't seem so. Can you love us if right now in this moment I tend to cuss, I tend to drink, and I have tattoos? I'm somewhat doubtful. Can you love me right now in this moment if I need truth and I'm not sure how to define love, how to define marriage, how to understand heaven and hell? It doesn't really feel that way. From what we know about Jesus, we think he looks like love. The unfortunate thing is too many times he doesn't look like you. These words may get you really, really angry, and you may want to jump in a knee-jerk move to defend yourself or attack these positions line by line, but we hope that you won't. We hope that you're just set in stillness with these words for a while because whether you believe they're right or wrong, they're real to us. And that's the whole point. We're the ones walking away. We want to matter to you. We want, to, we want you to hear us before you debate us. Show us that your love and your God are real. Church, give us a reason to stay. It's not you, it's me. That's what you seem to be saying. I tried to share my heart with you, the heart of me and thousands and thousands of people like me who are walking away to let you know of the damage you're doing and the painful legacy you're leaving. And, apparent, and apparently, you're not the problem. I let you know how judged and ridiculed I feel when I'm with you, how much like hopeless, um, like a hopeless, falling outsider I feel on the periphery of your inward judgmental communities and you proceeded to tell me how lost I am, how hopelessly in love with my sin I am. I must be, um, I'm, uh, how, how hopelessly in love with my sin I must be to leave you. Reminding me that I never really belonged with you anyway. In the face of every complaint and every grievance, you've made it clear that the real issue is that I'm either sinful, immoral, foolish, unenlightened, selfish, a consumerist, or I'm just ignorant. Many days I don't even really disagree with you. Maybe you're right, church. Maybe I am the problem. Maybe it's me. But me is all I'm capable of being right now. And that's where I was really hoping you would meet me. It's here in my flawed, screwed up, wounded, shell-shocked, doubting, disillusioned meanness that I've been waiting for you to step in with this whole supposedly relentless, audacious love of Jesus thing I hear so much about. And for you, yes, you, to make it real to me. Church, I know how much you despise the word tolerance, but right now I really need you to tolerate me, to tolerate those of us who for all sorts of reasons you may feel aren't justified, who are struggling to stay. 
We're so weary of feeling like nothing more than a religious agenda, an argument to win, a point to make, a cause to defend, a soul to save. We want to be more than a notch in your salvation belt, another number, number to pad your Twitter post, end of the year stat sheet. We need to be more than altar call props. We are applauded and high-fived down the aisles and then forgotten once the song ends. We've been praying for you to stop evangelizing us and preaching at us and fighting us and judging us and sitting diagnosing us long enough to simply hear us, even if we are the problem, even if we are the doubting follower or the rebellious prodigal or the demon-riddled young man, we can't be anything else right now in this moment. And in this moment, we need a church big enough and tough enough and loving enough for us. We still believe that God is big enough and tough enough and loving enough, even if you won't be. And that's why even if we do walk away, it doesn't mean we're walking away from faith. If someone tells you they are starving for compassion and relationship and authenticity, the last thing they need to be is corrected for that hunger. It's a kick in the rear right out the door. So yes, church, even if you're right, even if we're totally wrong, even if we're all petty and self-centered and hypocritical and critical, and yes, I'll say it this morning, sinful, we're still the ones searching for a place where we can be known and belong, a place where it feels like God lives, and you're the ones who can show it to us. Even if the problem is me, it's me you're supposed to be reaching, church. So for the love of God, reach already. Earlier we talked about folks who need to be snatched. Folks that we're talking about here um, are lost, but not like the way the author put there, pointing at them saying, hey, you're lost and, 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 and it's your problem. Hey, you're lost and I love you so much, I'm going to share love with you. And that love is Jesus Christ. When you look back at what Jude is telling us here, I'm going to take a look at a different verse just for a moment. In John 10, 27 through 30, Jesus says, My sheep listen to me, my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, as we close this morning, um, I will tell you that many of the things that that letter says are things I've wrestled with myself. How I feel about them, how I feel about those individuals, how I feel about their choices, their life decisions. But recently, as a brother shared with me his story on some choices he had to make about how he was feeling about a certain people group, he realized that he needed to show love, and that's what he did. And by doing that, people that he never thought would come to Christ came to Christ. When I think about all the lost that are all around us, so many that don't have Jesus Christ who need Him, so many right outside of these walls who need Jesus Christ, I think about what we can do to reach them. I also think about what Jude tells us right here. In 24 and 25, 25 he tells us to praise Jesus. Praise Jesus because Jesus already showed us the way. I'm not telling you anything this morning that you don't already know. None of these are any surprises. They may be, again, a swift kick in the pants for every one of us to maybe do something a little different. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself. But what I would ask you to do is this. As the author asked in the second letter, don't just dismiss it. Take some time, reflect, and ask yourself, 
Where do I fall? Do I need to be different? Am I following God's agenda or am I following my own agenda? Am I showing God's love to those around me? Or are some looking at the way I act, the way I react, the way I speak, and are saying, I don't see Jesus' love at all? Again, only you can answer that this morning. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, and then read what Jude tells us here in verse 25. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. In Jude 25, he tells us, Our praise to God, our Savior, who is alone, is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.